Today's episode is brought to you exclusively by the good folks at Blue Note Therapeutics. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com, and we'll keep you posted on more programs that they're going to be releasing soon. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Happy Tuesday, everybody. As you know, Tuesday is podcast day on Man Up to Cancer, and we are going to the South again. I, I need to get down to the South because I like I have all these great guests from the South, and I've never really explored there because I'm just this, you know, white pasty northerner type up here in Maine. I don't get out much. I don't get to the South much. I'm going. Um, it's a gray, rainy, drizzly January day here in Maine. I have my buddy Michael Holtz from Knoxville, Tennessee. How's the weather down there, Michael? Well, it's actually gray and it snowed yesterday. So we've got a couple inches of snow, um, at least in my backyard. It depends on where you live in the valley. But. I've been seeing that some snow down south. It's a little roll reversal here. It's kind of odd for us Mainers to have rain when you guys are getting snow down there. Do you like it? Absolutely. I Well, I'm from Wisconsin originally, so oh, I like okay. a touch of it. I like a touch of it. Um but, you know, snow in the south is a whole different thing than it is in the north. So it's mass it, panic. It is. <laughs> and, you know, so the grocery stores get bought out. And um, if the if the amount is enough, like life stops. So <laughs> that's a little that's a little that was a little jarring when I was here. I moved here in 92 in the first winter that I was here. And like we had the blizzard of 93 and life stopped for like four days. So for a Wisconsin boy, that was like, what in the heck is going on, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Because, you know, you I, and you do too, you know, you live in a place where you just push it out of the way and you keep going. You know, exactly. So I want to introduce you. Um, this is going to take me a, a, a minute. So you can just, you know, sit back, relax, and, and let me do these <laughs> accolades. All right. Michael Holtz. Well, first of all, how old are you, sir? I am 52. Okay. I'll be 53 in March, so. So Michael Holt, 52, of Knoxville, Tennessee. He is a stage 3B rectal cancer survivor. He is an advocate. He is an author, public relations professional, and writer. He's a weightlifter. Um, I could go on, but so last year the American Cancer Society Action Action. Sorry, <laughs> let me try this again. The American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network presented Michael with their volunteer award for excellence in cancer advocacy. So this is basically like the Lifetime Achievement Award for Cancer Advocacy and the highest honor bestowed on an ACS CAN volunteer. We're going to get into that. Absolutely amazing. And that just reflects on the type of person that Michael is. His book, It's Not Harder Than Cancer, The Mindsets You Need to Survive and Thrive After Serious Illness. You can find him at michaelholtzonline.com for his blog, his book, everything else. Whew, I'm going to have to, hold on. Elsie, Sage, somebody give me some water here. Okay, yep, all right. 
I'm good. That's the introduction. Um, so Michael, you are, let's start right here is that you are coming up on 10 years, um, as a survivor, you were diagnosed what, what in, in 2012, right? In March, yeah, March 27th, 2012. It's one of those dates, you know, one of those you'll days, never forget right? it. You'll never forget it. I know exactly where I was, um, all of those things. So yeah, so it'll be 10 years in March. So before we dive into cancer, are you any relation to Lou? I have to ask, you know. <laughs> I am not that I'm aware of, but um, we like to, you know, we like to pull that. Like my uncle Lou. You know? <laughs> yeah, my uncle Lou. Oddly enough, the year the Patriots came back in the Super Bowl from the 28-3 to deficit, I was in Las Vegas for the first time. After the game, I'm in a hotel lobby. I'm riding an elevator, and there's Lou Holtz next to me. And it's not surprising you're not related because this man is very, very small, and you're a very large man. Uh, but yes. so I, I'm like, hey, Lou Holtz, what's up? Uh, that was very interesting. Um, so speaking of that, um, you've got like size like 22. You've got like Shaq feet, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, 16 feet. Yeah. 16. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was that always for you yeah. a big kid growing up? Was it hard to find oh like, my shoes for you? Gosh. So, <laughs> you know, I grew up in the 80s, and the only shoes I could find in my size were basketball shoes, unless I paid, you know, or my grandparents yeah. actually paid $300 for a pair of, you know, floor oh shines because <laughs> they had to be specially made. So, yeah. Um, Basketball shoes, basket, Nike high tops was my uniform. So I had them in white with every color of the swoosh you could buy. So, you know, green, oh, orange, yeah. red, all of it. Yeah. Were your parents like big? Are you like, uh, like me, like hardy farming stock or like, what's the background here? I am an outlier, actually. Um, my grandfathers were both kind of tall, but like six feet, you know, um, so yeah, so to be six five and be like <laughs> this massive should have been a football player, weightlifter, uh, wrestler, whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm a bit of an outlier in my family. So that's awesome. Well, are we shout out to all the big guys out there? That's Love right. it. Um, so we're gonna do things a little differently on the Man Up to Cancer podcast, like. I would love to go into your cancer story and pre-diagnosis, diagnosis, treatment, all that stuff. But we're kind of just going <laughs> to, hmm, we're going to, for this one, we're just going to accept the fact that you're here, you got treatment, you lived, you're doing great. And I want to jump into some other themes like number one, why stay? And by that, I mean, you got to cancer free, I think what was it, a year or so after your diagnosis? Yeah. The May, 2013. Yep. Yep. NED. So, so, and we're going to get into this is that when I say why stay, I mean, when people reach, they, when you get cancer, you get treated, you, you reach no evidence of disease at that point, you know, people have a choice. You can <laughs> hang out in cancer land and be part of cancer conversations, be part of the cancer community, become an advocate. Like there's, there's ways to stay involved. And there's others who are just like, I can't run to the door fast enough to get out of cancer land. Like I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to be around it. And both of those tracks are, are totally reasonable. And, and, and we support whatever cancer patients decide to do with their survivorship and NED is fantastic, but you decide to stay in it big time. Take us back and tell us a little bit about your evolution as an advocate. So, 
I'm a PR guy, as you said, and at the time of my diagnosis, I actually was working for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. And I made the decision with my wife's blessing to be completely and 100% transparent about what we were going through. And I did that because, so to take a little step back. Yeah, of course. At, at the time, the American Cancer Society had this colorectal screening campaign involving a character called Polyp Man. I don't know <laughs> if you remember Polyp Man, but it was sort of this cross between what looked like a drop of blood and the hamburger, right? So in all of the... All oh, of the, no campaign all of the commercials all of the psas focused around catching polyvan and you know basically putting him behind bars and you know basically get your screening all of all of those great things that we love to talk about all the time we would get from the middle of nowhere tennessee or every time it aired on cable at you know two o'clock in the morning we would get a call from someone who was offended that we weren't taking colorectal cancer seriously because we were making fun and you know so in part because of that and in part just because i'm a pr guy and i knew i could use my connections with the local media and social media i could tell my story and be a hundred percent transparent about it yeah put it every step of the process out there. Um, so once our nieces and nephews, we don't have any kids, we have nine nieces and nephews. And once we knew, they all knew, we went wide open and, and I said, here we go. Here's, so every, you know, every endoscopy, every colonoscopy, every flex sig, um, yeah. <laughs> and then every, and then every radiation treatment, every chemo, um, the surgery, everything was out there for everyone to hear what I was going through. So, so you were involved in cancer um, advocacy before you were a cancer patient. I was, yeah. And I loved it. Um, I left the organization in 2014 because I was living cancer 24-7. I mean, I was still, you know, even though it was 2014, I was still recovering from treatment oh I mean, 10 years out i still feel like in some ways i'm recovering from treatment absolutely and um i just i needed a break and my my boss um robert morris i gotta i gotta hand it to him shout he out robert tr he tried to do anything he could to get me to stay take a sabbatical take a long vacation take a and i was like i just i gotta go i just i need to step away so i yeah. can figure out what do i want to do well, did you get involved initially because of a, a family experience or personal connection or what, what prompted you to get involved with ACSCIN um, in the first place? So I was, <laughs> interestingly, I was working at a hospital, um, St. Mary's Hospital no longer exists here in Knoxville, but the very first activity that ACS can ever did in 2002 was have this bus drive around the country. It was kind of a rolling petition okay. um, about increasing federal funding for cancer research. And they were doing stops at locations all over the country. And I got a call from the local ACS staff um, asking if my hospital would be a stop on the tour. Uh, okay. And I was like, I was like, um, 
media opportunity, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. fighting cancer, yes, please. big, but I was like, yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. So it was hugely successful. We had hundreds of people come out. All of the local media showed up. So like three weeks later, I get a call that said, so we have this job opening in our communications department in Knoxville. <laughs> Do you want to come work for us? And I was like, eh, nonprofit. I mean, the whole, you know, just all of that, like, I'm I going to make enough money. Sure. But they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I worked there for 12 years and Great. had a blast. Loved it. Um, I did have a personal connection. My friend Bonnie, um, who has since passed away, mm. um, fought um, leukemia and lymphoma for like 42 years by the time she passed away. Oh, wow. And it was horrific. Just, you know, every time she thought she was over it you know it would come back and, or something else would happen and, yeah um but so she was kind of the one person i knew and then i had my uncle bob when i was 21 passed away of pancreatic cancer and i got to see him in the hospital before he passed away and he was you know he was not the person that i knew lying in that hospital bed yeah but yeah. um you know his spirit was still strong and um so Bob and Bonnie have kind of been my motivator, had been my motivators while I was working for ACS and ACS Can, And then I had my own experience and, you know, I jumped in with um, both feet very hard. Yeah. And, and, and we have to tell people like, so <laughs> in cancer land for advocates, we, we discuss this a lot it's primarily females out there spreading the word, telling their stories. Yep. Like it's hard to find men who are willing to <clears throat> step up and share that, that openly. So I'm, so when you do find a man like Michael, who's willing to, to do that, it's like people pay attention and especially someone like Michael who has the communication skills and, and is a charismatic personality and, and a caring person. Like those are the things that advocacy groups are looking for to spread the word. So I'm, I'm guessing that from, from the start, when you started putting yourself out there, that, that all of a sudden you probably found that a lot of people were reaching out to you. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And it still happens. Um, so six months after I left the organization, um, I got invited by the, the Lynn Williams, who was the state government relations director at the time to go to DC. Mm -hmm. Um, to be part of an event called One Degree, which was a um, partnership with Stand Up to Cancer, again, focused on federal funding for cancer research. Um, apparently no one else from Tennessee was available. So <laughs> they asked me to go. And before I left, Very I was I was <laughs> the state lead ambassador for Tennessee for ACS CAN, which is a role that I've had um, for seven years now, so. Yeah, so tell us about, just give us, um, especially for those who are just sort of learning about ACS or ACS CAN, tell us about your role. What does that look like? So as the state lead ambassador, so first of all, ACS CAN is um, dedicated to making the fight against cancer a legislative priority. So everything we do is Congress, state legislature, local um, municipality focused in terms of policy change. So how can we increase federal funding for cancer research, close the loophole in Medicare that, um, sorry, that's my dog. Yeah, no, I um, was going to tell our listeners, if you're hearing the squeaky toy, I believe that's Michael's dog in the background. It's my 
Continue. Um, (laughs) um, Closing closing the loophole in Medicare that for folks who had a screening for colon cancer, if they found a polyp, they'd get a surprise bill. Hello. Um, that, That work alone took 10 years to close that loophole. Yeah, and so, I want so so people would go in for preventative colonoscopy and if they didn't find if they had a clean um, colonoscopy then it was fine their insurance was covering it. But yep. if they found anything then all of a sudden it was coded as a diagnostic procedure yep. and all of a sudden you have to pay you know, you have to pay some ridiculous amount of money because they found something <laughs> you know that needed to be taken care of. I mean, talk about ridiculous. Right. Uh, yeah, totally ridiculous. So, um, but you know, the wheels of um, legislation and policy change move slow. So it took ten years, and so um, to be pa- honestly to be part of that <laughs> for ten years um, when that finally happened and that finally changed, yeah, was amazing. Congratulations um, on that, by the and way. And it's thank you. And it's it's hard to. Um, stick to it that long but once you sort of realize that that's just the process it just takes a long time um that helps you sort of realize you have to be patient policy change doesn't happen overnight so um in my role as state lead ambassador i'm the lead volunteer for um nine congressional district volunteers so every congressional district in in the country has an, what we call an act lead. And so they they lead their own team of um, communications people and you know fundraisers and other folks. But so I'm kind of the leader of those leaders um, for the state. And then my legislative relationships are with my senator's offices. So I know I have met with, well, I haven't met with Senator Haggerty yet, but I've met with his staff. I've met with Senator Blackburn. I know her people. I know, you know, so um, when Lamar Alexander was our senator, you know, I could I could get his people on the phone. Really yeah. Easily, yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and again, I guess just circling on that question of sort of why, why stay, you felt personally um, called to this mission to help. Um Tell Absolutely. us a little bit more about yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and how that to help develop to help and also to make sure that um, patients, cancer patients, and treatment and their families have better quality of life. Um, that more research is funded so that someday, I mean, we all hope for that day, but someday we're you know cancer will either be a chronic disease or it's going to be something where our our kids and our grandkids are going to be like what was this thing called cancer that they're talking about amen like that's my dream and that's what keeps me um invested in cancer advocacy is one day we're not going to have to do this anymore and we can all turn our attention to something else and it's a it's this interesting paradox that a life-threatening illness can make you feel or, or give you a purpose that makes you feel most alive. I want to read a quote yep. that you, so on in the howling place, man up to cancer's um, Facebook group where I want to say thank you to Michael for being <clears throat> part of that group and bringing your spirit and your knowledge to the guys in the howling place. You posted um, 
sort of a history, a little bit of a history of your diagnosis and treatment. And in that you said, I'll, I'll just read from this. Howard Thurman, noted author, <clears throat> theologian, educator, and civil rights activist wrote, quote, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. Why did you, why did that, why does that quote resonate with you? Um, I love that quote. I've loved that quote for a long time. Mm, um, it's beautiful. And I think be, because it really is exactly what cancer advocacy is for me is it makes me, when I can look at someone and share my story, when I can talk to a lawmaker and hopefully get them to vote the way I'd like them to vote, when I can talk to a staff member who has no idea what this piece of legislation is. They might be familiar with it, but maybe don't understand what the impact is, but I can talk about that. That makes me come alive. Awesome. And being able to do weird things like, um, I had a friend, so I have a colostomy bag, and I had a friend who was in treatment and um, was actually having her own ostomy installed like the next day. And, Nobody was talking to her about what does this look like? What's it going to do to my body? All of those things. So she called me and said, will you come up to my room and, you know, talk to me about this. And she wanted to see what my appliance looked like. So uh, yep. I pulled down my pants and I showed her. I was like, here you go. <laughs> here it is. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, you know, and, and so even that we like those weird little things that help, calm people's nerves or help them understand what they're in for a little bit better. Like that makes me come alive as well. Yeah. So taking the stigma away from ostomies in general and, and educating people on what that is and, and, and and how you can live a full thriving life as you are with an ostomy is, I think that's having a moment over this past year from what I've seen, people are really coming out and saying, this is not, you know, what people think it is. Absolutely. I, you know, I was lucky. I had an ostomy nurse who, when I, after I had my surgery, um, walked into my room and she said, this does not change who you are. You know, she said, you keep doing all of the things that you do. And she knew I was, you know, at the time I was a runner and um, physically active. And, you know, she was like, if you go home and sit on the couch because of this, that's your fault. I'm telling you, you know, get out there and live your life. This is why I love doing this podcast because there's at least a couple times on each show when I get goosebumps over my whole body, like, because these are the conversations when you have a moment like that with a provider or someone like there's these moments that you remember as motivating and as like life changing. And when someone says like, Hey, like that conversation you had, clearly there's a that stuck with you i mean to this day you're like you remember that interaction right absolutely and you know i've had colostomy fails in some of the (laughs) most interesting places um but it doesn't stop me i mean i'll clean up the mess and move on and we'll keep keep going on with the day and you know it's frustrating in the moment that it happens but 
I'm going to laugh about it in a couple of hours. So be prepared for poop humor is pretty much what I, you know. <laughs> yeah. And just a little side note here on your, your, so fit exercise, weightlifting, fitness, those are, that's a big part of your life. Tell our audience, a, yeah, tell our yep. audience a little bit about what your regimen is and what you like yes. to do in the gym. So I, I used to be a runner, but neuropathy has made that impossible in my feet. So, um, yeah, so I lift three or four days a week and then I do cardio, um, three days a week. So, um, yeah, love it. And, and I'm never was a weightlifter, wasn't really interested, but, um, after I couldn't run, I knew I needed to do something Yeah, and, um, weightlifting kind of spoke to me. I mean, I always thought weightlifters spoke a different language and, you know, reps and, whatever and split splits and, and yeah. didn't know any of that stuff but i understand it now and i love it i just and i love what it's doing for me i mean to be a 52 year old man with you know muscle yeah <laughs> you know um in a world where as you get older you lose it um you know and and to think that i, I can keep doing this and stay strong um and Honestly, I do it because there is always that thought in the back of my mind that it's yes. coming back and I want to be as strong as possible for when and if that day ever comes. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, there's no magic, there's no um, recipe that you can go find out there for, um, for avoiding recurrence. But I would right. say, uh, of, uh, uh, um, but of all the science and all the studies out there, the, the one common denominator is physical activity. Yep. Um, fitness, um, staying in shape, um, imp- like really working on your body is definitely the common denominator out there in terms of, um, avoiding recurrence. Absolutely. Yep. Like that, that's a 100%. real, that's, a, that's the real deal. So, um, and I, I will circle on, <clears throat> if we have time later, I want to circle on some healthy eating and, and active living stuff. But what I really want to dial into now is the, is the legislative piece of this because <laughs> so, funding especially when it comes to federal funding for cancer mm-hmm. research yep. the we're having a frustration moment in cancer land right now because it, it, i could get in trouble for this conversation but i think a lot of us see that COVID has come along and it seems like there is just endless billions of dollars for whatever <clears throat> we need to do to attack COVID, to eradicate eradicate it like there just seems to be you know no limit on what we can spend on that Whereas for, you know, in legislative work for cancer research funding, it has just been like pushing a 5,000 pound Mm. stone up a mountain over and over again. And it seems like you're, you've made, you know, people like you are making progress, but there just doesn't seem to be the urgency. I think that's the frustration is a lot of us, we want to see more urgency at the federal level for cancer research. And when we see something like, whether it's a war or whether it's COVID and it just seems to be unlimited, we don't understand why that can't be the same for cancer. Now I'm not trying to uh, make an equivalence between cancer and COVID. I understand it's an infectious disease that we're talking apples and oranges, but you, I mean, certainly anyone can understand the frustration, whether it's a cancer patient, kids going through cancer, these families, there's a frustration there that federal funding has not grown more than it has. Totally understood. Um, on the upside, it is growing every year. 
Good. Um, because of organizations like ACS Can and Fight CRC and others that you know have advocates that are meeting with lawmakers, um, there have been continued increases in funding. Um, however, <laughs> it can always be more. It can always, always, always be more. So I would just say to anyone who's listening, um, pay attention to the folks like me who are asking for you to raise your voice, to make a call. Um, the more people that our lawmakers hear from, whether it's by email or by phone, um, in person, all of that counts. I mean, you know, I know what we all probably feel like we live in a world where our lawmakers don't really pay attention to us and they don't know what our needs are. But right. when we reach out to them, they pay attention to that. So if you want to see those increases, you know, if you see me post, um, you know, call your lawmakers, you know, follow this, follow this link to send a message to your lawmakers, um, or you see anyone else doing that, do it. It literally takes about 30 seconds to send an email to your lawmakers. The message is already written. All you have to do is fill in your contact information. Um, and lawmakers just want that to know that you're a constituent who lives in their district. So, um, that's important. Absolutely. And, yes. um, you know, through COVID, one of the other difficulties that we've been working on is, you know, when, when everyone went home in mid-March of 2020, um, so did a lot of people in the labs. And so a lot of lab work got stopped. And so some of the COVID legislation that has passed, some of those stimulus bills and whatnot, have included funding to restart labs and to get get their work back in action because yeah. it stopped and it's you know you lose we don't have time to lose you know bench work um to stop cancer and to find new treatments and to hopefully you know get to that chronic disease slash immunotherapy slash you know whatever whatever's going to be the fix for everybody ultimately um we don't have time to stop no, absolutely not. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the therapies and the drugs that we do have for particularly colorectal cancer are are pretty old. I mean, immunotherapy definitely has been a game changer, but it's only for a very small percentage of yeah. colorectal cancer patients. Um, for the for the majority, it's still you know those same old things that we've heard about for yeah. for a long time. And I know there's scientists working their asses off at this, and I know that there's legislators who care. I just think. You know, and so so sometimes this frustration isn't even. I know there's people working hard on it. It's just we want things to happen faster, right? We right. we always we want, want things now. to. Yeah. We want it now. We we want we want to extend the lives of our friends and and have them be there for their families. I mean, that's just our gut human reaction. So it's hard. It is, um, and you know, like I said earlier, the the wheels of policy change. <laughs> are slow, but the more people that can join their voices together, you know, the more they'll listen. Um, it took events like Celebration on the Hill, which was that that first eight bit, the, the bus that I told you about. It took events like Celebration on the Hill um, and, you know, call on Congress to, to 
that fight CRC does to get lawmakers to see that there's, you know, the, the quote unquote war on cancer has been going on for 50 years. Right. Um, so the only way for us to keep it on the front burner is for us to keep talking about it. We have to keep talking about it. We have to talk about it to our lawmakers. Um, and we have to just keep saying, you know, I'm a survivor. I know a survivor. I've been a caregiver. Um, you know, uh, folks who've lost their loved ones, you know, they need to raise their voices and they need to, they need to join that conversation um, because that will help speed up the process. I, and I love this talk with you because you, I, I hear the, it's very motivational. Um, you are, I can tell you're an optimist and things <laughs> may be slow, but you're optimistic about the way things are going and you're encouraging people. Like, I think a lot of people just feel like, what's the point? You know, I'm just going to, I can't make a difference. I'm just going to check out like, and, but to hear you say it and and from you, someone who you understand how the machinery works, you're in there working on it all the time. So to hear you say you can make a difference, you do make a difference. And, and when these lawmakers hear from you, it, it, there absolutely is that um, motivation towards change. So this is a really good conversation for people to hear right now, because there is so much cynicism. There is. And, you know, the current political division doesn't help. But the one issue that I can tell you that lawmakers on, you know, both teams can coalesce around is the fight against cancer. There, There is not a lawmaker on Capitol Hill that doesn't understand um, the need and isn't opposed to increasing funding when you talk to them so so how do people get from how do people get from not involved to involved let's say there's someone listening to this right now they're sitting on their couch they're like well i'm a survivor um i want to get involved i I have not i don't even know what advocacy really means what's what are some of the first steps that they can take in their you know right there in their hometowns to to start making a difference the easiest thing they can do is go to fightcancer.org um, which is the ACS can website and at fightcancer.org, they can um, opt to volunteer. They can opt to, and you can volunteer to whatever level you're willing. If, if truly all you want to do is respond to action alerts. And so when um, an action alert happens, when um, a committee or a, chamber of the of congress is about to vote on a piece of legislation the folks in dc ask volunteers to make their voices heard so send send that email make this phone call if that's all you want to do that's plenty because again every voice counts but then you can get involved you know at your district level you can get involved um in your hometown, doing everything from meeting with members of your city council, if you're talking about passing smoke-free legislation, or with your state government to make sure that um, they're, you know, that your insurance, uh, your state insurance plans are funding colonoscopies at at the recommended screening age, mm-hmm. and all of those things. So there's there are plenty of ways that you can get involved at the level that you're comfortable doing. And there are plenty of ways and all of this, people can get involved without having to spend money or give money now. And I mentioned that because I I know a lot of people feel the pressure to give all of our nonprofits have been hit hard financially, but through COVID 
Um, but a lot of people in this is the this is the tough thing is that a lot of people going through cancer or after cancer have been hit hard financially, so they're not necessarily able to, to give. But you can get involved without giving, right? Yep, absolutely. You can. You can get, and you know, and it doesn't have to be ACS can. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I've spent a lot of years. Um, but you know, there's Fight CRC. There's the Colon Cancer Coalition. There's uh, the Colon Cancer Alliance. So there, are, you know, if policy is not your way to get involved, but maybe you want to just share your story with other people to help them understand what you went through, you can be a buddy for um, the Colon Cancer Alliance. Right. Um, you know, you can you can do virtual call on Congress next year where you don't even have to leave your house, but you can still meet with lawmakers, Yeah. Um, you know, from your computer screen. So there are so many ways that um, people can get involved. And even if it's, you know, um, on <laughs> cancer land, the, the, the cancer land website and, you know, sharing your story and um, getting join If you're a guy and you're not in man up to cancer, dudes <laughs> come on in the water's fine <laughs> thanks for that um awesome and, and 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 again i think one of the other questions people have is how do those organizations cross over relate with one another because like you said so there are various groups doing different pieces of advocacy legislative work um funding for research um yep. i think so it can be intimidating for a patient or a survivor to look at all these groups and wonder where their place is. But I think right. the be- the best we can tell them is to just um, check out the websites, maybe t- reach out to <clears throat> the, all of these organizations have a place to that say like, get in touch, learn about us. You know, right. do you have any recommendation on how people go about like figuring out where they belong in terms of these organizations? Cause it can be a lot. It can be a lot. I would say, you know, um, you know, ACS can is an organization that fights for every cancer, but if you're a colon cancer survivor, a prostate cancer survivor, lung cancer, you know, find the organization that speaks to your diagnosis, um, to start with, I, I can say that most of the cancer organizations are part of a coalition called One Voice Against Cancer. Okay. So when it comes to research funding, um, we all play in the same pool. And there's a there has been a lobby day for um, volunteers across the country with all of those organizations um, reaching out to members of Congress on the same day um, related to research funding. And I think that happens in I want to say that happens in June, but you can look for One Voice Against Cancer. One Voice um, Against Cancer. Okay, cool. Yep. And that's kind of where everybody plays in the same pool. And then, you know, when I talked about the um, the Medicare loophole earlier, like all of the cancer, the colorectal cancer groups were on board for um, working to get that loophole closed. So it was Fight CRC and it was the Colon Cancer Alliance and it was ACS CAN and it was, you know, others. So... Perfect. Thank you so much. This is super helpful because I think there's a lot of people who may be on the cusp of wanting to get involved, but just see too many barriers or think it's too complicated. And one of the things that I'm taking away from this conversation is that it doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't need to be complicated. You can get involved pretty easily at at whatever level 
is comfortable for you. And, and these organizations yep. will walk you through that. Like they have people um, who will walk you through how to get involved and what the different options for you are. So, I mean, some people have even said <clears throat> to me, like, what is a cancer? So what's a cancer advocate? And I guess my, when I think what's a cancer advocate, I, I think of just someone who is adding their voice or raising their voice to conversations around improving quality of life and outcomes for cancer patients and their families. I mean, that's the, what do you, is there anything you might add to what a cancer advocate is? No, I think, I think that captures it perfectly. I mean, it just happens that the bulk of my focus is on legislation and policy change, but, you know, I also do the one-on-one, you know, um, let's talk about, you know, I, I, in fact, right before Christmas, I got a message from a friend who had a friend who was diagnosed with rectal cancer. And, you know, would you, would you be willing to talk to him if he's interested? And, you know, I'm always, I'm always open, like, bring it on. I'll be happy to share my story. So. As predicted, I don't really have time to get into some of the other things I want to talk to you about. So I would love to have you back. Um, we can focus on um, healthy eating, active living. Um, there's spiritual, uh, there's a, you're, you're very much into faith and spirituality and, yep. and gratitude. So there's a lot that we can get into. I think there today is. was, I just really wanted to focus on advocacy today. So I hope that's cool love with it. you. And I hope I can get you Absolutely. back to talk about some of these other things. Love it. I'm going to get you into the gauntlet of random questions. <laughs> Check out Michael Holtz, Michael H O L T Z online, MichaelHoltzonline.com. There's fightcancer.org as well. Um, check those things out. Um, anything else you wanted to say or or that um, maybe we didn't touch on today that you wanted to mention before we hit you with the the really hard questions <laughs> of the day? No, I think I'm good. Just if you're if you are someone who's ready to get involved. Come on, we're we're waiting for you. So fantastic! All right, it's time. Hot seat questions. Michael Holt, right. are you ready for this? I I think so. <laughs> What's the best type of cheese? Oh, the best type of cheese. I'm cheddar, of course. I love cheddar. I accept that. Number two, if you could be any athlete in the world for us for one event, who would you be? Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps. Um, and I say that because, um, even though I'm a giant person, I, (laughs) I am as tall as Michael Phelps and my wingspan is as wide as Michael Phelps. I just weigh like 150 pounds. Yeah. You don't have dolphin DNA like Michael Phelps. Right. Uh, Exactly. So, but yeah, it would totally be Michael Phelps in any one of his gold medal winning any one of his gold medal. (laughs) Exactly. That's awesome. Love Michael. And, and, and also love Michael for what he's doing with, um, speaking up around mental health. Yes, absolutely. So important. We could talk about that for a whole nother hour. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, which clue suspect actually committed the crime? Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, Mr. Green, Mrs. Peacock, Mrs. White, or Professor Plum? I've always been a believer in Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard is totally shady. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah. 
I think in the solarium with the candlestick, perhaps. I yeah, I would think that would be a, that would be right. Yes. We cannot let Clue go into the the archive of history. We need to keep it alive. I play with my kids. Right. So. Um, all right. Do, do, do. do you have pump up music? Any particular songs or genres of music that you get pumped up to? Maybe when you're oh, going to lift my, or something. My favorite pump up song in the world is "I Lived" by One Republic. Oh, that's <clears> awesome! <throat> yeah. That's a good anthem for so, sure. Yeah. So I, if I'm having a bad day, if I'm, if I just need, you know, a little added motivation, I'll put it on replay on my phone and, oh, you yeah. know, just go to town. Yep. Love it. I'm going to listen to that later when I hit the stationary bike. Um, where was it? If you were footwear, what kind mm. would you be? Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> sandals chuck taylor steel-toed boots anything like that i mean what's... chuck taylor's would be yeah. chucks i do have a pair of chucks so that i wear for leg day so was that spe- did you have to get special ordered chucks to your I nba size actually, feet <laughs> <laughs> i didn't actually they actually make them in my size so. thank you chuck taylor's for making large That's exactly feet for right. us you know i'm 14 so i can i'm just on the cusp of getting most things you know available and but yep. and, and not finding anything so i'm lucky um, fortunately the world has changed a lot since i was in high school <laughs> <laughs> all right i am going to ask you the the hot the hot question in the howling place for the past i don't know year and a half pineapple pineapple on pizza yes or no there is no middle ground you're either in or you're out <laughs> i am in actually i kind of like pineapple on my pizza so and i, and I thought i loved you all right it's still a 50 50 debate i'm pretty sure it it seems like there's just it's it's cut down the middle putting you i'm putting you on the list but um i still love you people not to have pizza with right people never to have pizza with um man thank you so much thank you for everything you have done and continue to do in the cancer space um, really grateful for, for you and your spirit and, and, and your work. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you, Trevor. And thank you for, um, bringing men up to cancer to life and, and, um, the group as well. I mean, the Halloween place is amazing and it's one of those things that I, you know, I wish it existed when I was going through treatment, but, yeah. um, now that it's here for others, you know, I tell people about it. I tell guys about it all the time. So I'm glad Awesome. It's hey, here. I appreciate that. And and keep us up to date in the Howling Place and also on all your other platforms on what's happening with you and also with in the cancer advocacy world. Because we, we lean on you to, yeah, be a leader and, and let us know what we can do. If there's specific things you could ask me to do as the founder of Man After Cancer to get involved in, I am here for you 100%, awesome. 24-7, man. Awesome. We'll do it. All right. Thank you, brother. Thanks for being with us. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. Great to see you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to support our mission, visit patreon.com backslash manuptocancer. Monthly subscriptions start at five bucks, less than a single cup of coffee at some establishments. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Big thanks again to Blue Note Therapeutics for sponsoring today's podcast. 
Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com.